And uh, just seeing what God has done in six years at Favour Church, I just think this is an absolute miracle in motion. And, uh, you know, your senior pastors are just such dear friends, but they're just people of incredible faith, integrity. They're people that go after God. They're great leaders. And who knows that this hasn't just happened by accident, but it's happened because two people, and a whole heap of other leaders, but two people in particular said yes to the call of God. Can we give your senior pastors a massive round of applause? So good. Well, I do, I live on the Gold Coast. Uh, I grew up in Melbourne. Uh, Australia. And, uh, you know, my parents divorced when I was about uh, five years old. Uh, My dad particularly uh, was on a whole heap of drugs. Uh, My mum also did drugs. Uh, Most of my aunties and uncles did drugs. Even some of my grandparents did drugs. Uh, And I kind of followed in my my family's footsteps. And at the age of about 12 years old, I started using uh, marijuana. Uh, by the time I was 15, I was using ecstasy, speed, uh, acid, uh, you know, excessive drinking. Uh, at 16 years old, I took an acid trip at a house where they were involved in satanic worship. And I overdosed for about three or four hours. I was unconscious on the floor where I was literally tormented by demons for about three or four hours. Uh, I came out of that experience as a 15 or 16 year old boy with what psychologists would have diagnosed as drug induced psychosis. And from the age of about 16 to 19 or 20, uh, the television would speak to me, the radio would speak to me. I'd hear voices every day as I went to sleep telling me that I should kill myself, that no one liked me, that no one loved me. Uh, at about 19 years old, uh, I, I started to very uh, contemplate suicide and almost took my life at 19 years old. Uh, and really the only reason I believe I'm here today, uh, the timer hasn't started, guys. Uh, I don't want to preach for four hours. Uh, but uh, it's pause, so that means I can just keep going the whole day. And, uh, but you know, the reason why I'm here today really, and I came out of all of that stuff, is because there was one lady, the only Christian in my entire family, my mum's sister, my auntie, that prayed for me for 17 years that I would one day encounter the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, at 23 years old, as a, a guy, a young adult that was still doing drugs, still partying, still sleeping around, on a phone call with this particular auntie, she rang me up. And as soon as I heard her voice, as she said, hello, it was literally like heaven opened up and the love of the Father came over my whole being. And in that moment, it was the first time I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. But you know what? Who knows that that only happened because a lady was on her knees for 17 years praying for my salvation. Continue to go before the Father. Can I tell you the power of prayer? It's not just something you do. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes people's lives. I'm so thankful for a lady that prayed for 17 years. And, uh, you know, I gave my life to Jesus and, you know, I had an encounter where God turned up at my house and radically set me free in one moment of every addiction that had gripped my life. And, And again, it's not cliche that one touch from God can literally change anything. One word from heaven can change your business, your marriage, your children, your circumstance and addiction. That God is not just, like Pastor James said, a statue. He is real and He wants to bring shift within our life. 
And so in that moment, I was two weeks being a Christian. And, you know, the, the, the day before that particular encounter where I got set free of drugs, I was in a little Bible study, a new Christians class. And, and there was just six of us in the room. And all of these young adults at the church started to turn up to the church. And one of the girls was having a party at the church building and it was fancy dress party. And so we're doing a little Bible study and next minute the girl that was having the party walked into the room where we were doing the, the, the new Christians class just to get something out of a cupboard and she walked in dressed as Barbie. You know Barbie doll. Uh, she had Barbie hair, Barbie skirt, Barbie shoes, Barbie bag. She walked in. I, I, I started, oh, it's behind me, there she is. Uh, I started drooling a little bit as she walked in. Uh, hey, I'd only been saved two weeks, okay? And I said, how you doing? Uh, she, she ignored me because I looked like a guy that had been on drugs for about 10 years. And that was the end of my Barbie experience. I've been in counselling ever since. <laughs> no, not really. But uh, she, she went off and had her party. I finished my Bible study. The next day I have this God encounter where He sets me free. He tells me I'll never need drugs again. And as I'm laying on the floor encountering the presence of God, He speaks to me and He says, the girl you saw last night, she's the girl you're gonna marry. I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. God, send me, I will go. And so the next day I got up and I changed my name to Ken. No, not really. Uh, It took her a year and a half to come to her senses and see what she was missing out on. No, no, no. No, It took me a year and a half to be even close to being ready. But we've been married now 21 years and God has been so good. And uh, like Pastor James said, we just planted a church on the Gold Coast and and, uh, you know, God's been really good. And, you know, uh, one of the things I want to talk about is, is this thing that I call the dad, well, this is not my sermon, but, but there's this thing called the dad anointing, okay, uh, or pa anointing. And, and when the dad anointing comes upon you, uh, what it looks like is you will allow your children to do things that a mum would never let them do. Okay, they're normally dangerous, uh, dirty, and a whole lot of fun, okay? And so I remember this time, and it was Christmas, my boys, they're a lot bigger now, but my boys were about maybe four and five, five and six. And, and it had been raining for an entire month. It was just in January, just after Christmas. And, and so, you know, two boys, that's school holidays for us, two boys locked in a house for a month equals angry parents, okay? And so it was pouring with rain and, and I felt the dad anointing come upon me and I waited for my wife to leave the room and I said to my boys, quick, let's get the rugby boy and we'll go play rugby in that muddy field next door. And I know I should have got them out of their brand new Christmas clothes first, uh, but a dad anointing doesn't see the details, just the fun that could be had. And so, you know, we're playing rugby and, 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 and it was actually Caleb who was about four or five and he's got the ball and it's almost bigger than him. And he's running towards the try line and the try line was this six feet of this massive thick mud patch. And so he's running toward the try line and I'm kind of way over here, about 106 kilograms of uncoordinated mass. I know I need to lose weight. Uh, the Philippines is not helping at the moment. Uh, and so he's kind of running towards this mud patch try line. And in my mind, I think to myself, if I run as hard as I can, I could tackle him. We will slide through the mud together across the try line. And in my mind, we'll create an incredible father-son memory that we'll talk about for many years to come. 
And so he's running, the ball's nearly bigger than him and 106 kilograms of uncoordinated mass. And, and I timed it to perfection. I hit him, I hit him hard. We slid together for six feet through this mud patch. The only problem was his head was face down the entire time. He got up and he threw the ball in anger and that's when you need the mum anointing, when the dad anointing goes horribly wrong, which happens quite a bit. But before he ran off to mum, I remember looking and you couldn't see the whites of his eyes because they were covered in mud. It was at that moment that that, 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 that thought works for what I wanna preach about, that having mud in your eyes does not help you to be able to see. Deep, isn't it? Having mud in your eyes does not help you to be able to see unless, of course, Jesus is involved. Have you ever thought about the very unusual story in John 9 where Jesus finds a blind man and he literally spits into the ground. He makes a little mud spit pie. He puts the mud spit on the man's eyes. He tells him to wash in a pool called Siloam. And as the man washes the mud spit off his face, he is healed in an instant where he's able to see. Could, could you imagine if this morning I said, Pastor James, I just need a little bucket of dirt. And then right in front of everyone, I cleared my throat and spat and then grabbed the little mud spit pie. And I said, church, there's an anointing for healing in this place. Like even if I'm the blind guy, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna wait for the next evangelist to come. The one that would just put his hand on my head and say in Jesus' Name. But that's what Jesus did. He literally made a mud spit pie, put it on the man's eyes. And there's gotta be a reason for it. He couldn't have, he didn't just do it just for the sake of doing it. And so I wanna read from John chapter nine, verses six to eight. But before, you can put that up. But before we read that, just the verses before, there is a conversation happening, almost a theological debate, if you will. They're asking a question that maybe you've asked this question about yourself. And they've seen this particular blind man and they're saying, why him? It's a fair question to ask. Maybe you've asked that about me. Why me? Why did I get diagnosed? Why did my marriage bust up? Why, why was I born with this dysfunction? Why me? And so they're asking a fair question that we ask many times and someone jumps in and says, well, I reckon it's because his parents were terrible sinners. And somebody else says, no, I reckon it's him. I reckon he's the terrible sinner. And Jesus jumps in and he says, well, actually, it's, that's not the reason. It's his blindness was made so that my Father in heaven would receive glory. We'll come back to that in a moment. And then we find ourselves in verse six and it says, after saying this, which is what we just kind of discussed, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing and his neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man that used to sit and beg? And it seems like such an unusual thing that Jesus would do this, but you've got to understand the context. The context is them asking a fair question about life. Why was he born blind? And forgive me for saying this, but it's almost like Jesus gave him the Spiro answer, the spiritual answer. Ah, oh, well, it was so that the Father in heaven would receive glory. Well, that's good, Jesus. We don't know how old this man is. Let's say he's 35. But what about the 35 years that he had to be the blind guy for this spiritual moment where God would receive glory? 
And I believe that when Jesus did this particular unusual thing, that he was answering the question, not spiritually, but in a practical way. Let me explain. The Greek word, the New Testament is written in Greek. For this particular word, mud, is the Greek word palos, and it simply means mud. It's only used one other time in the entire New Testament, this Greek word palos, and it's used in Corinthians where God through Paul says, it's my right to make whatever I want out of each piece of palos, each piece of clay. Some I will use for noble purposes, some for common. And so really what he's doing is he's calling you and I, he's calling humanity palos, clay, mud. The other moment where we see mud spoken about, not in the Greek, but in the Hebrew, because it's in the Old Testament, is in, in the book of Genesis, remember, where God makes the very first man and he, he bends down to the mud. He takes the mud and he breathes his breath into the mud and Adam is formed. And so really in that moment when Adam was made, he's part mud, part breath of God. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it was the mud because the mud is the human part of who we are and the breath of God is the spirit that's eternal and, and full of life. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it was the mud, the human part of who we are that became contaminated. And that's why we have this struggle at times where we love God because part of me is spirit, the breath of God that's holy and eternal and full of life but I also have this mud that's been contaminated by sin and the two things wrestle against each other. And when Jesus put the mud on the man's eyes, He's answering practically why He was born blind. He's simply showing that it's because the mud, the human part of who we are has been contaminated by sin and sometimes people are just born blind. But you know what? We can end up, especially as we face a new year, exactly like the blind man, where we are unable to see the great things that God has for 2023 because we're looking through the mud of our humanity. Maybe for you, the, the mud you wrestle with it is a past mistake or a past failure. It's a financial situation that didn't work out. It's being too pessimistic. It's the fear that's gripped your eyes. It's the depression, it's the addiction. And we can't see what God has because we're looking through the mud. See, the reality is all of us wrestle with the mud, our humanity. And if you think that you don't, then just give me five minutes with your spouse and we'll come up with the list of the humanity that you struggle with. But see, remember if we put these two things together, spiritually Jesus said, that actually his blindness, his, that the mud he wrestles with, his struggle was so that my Father in heaven will receive glory. See, the devil wants to make you feel condemned about your struggle, but actually your struggle is the greatest asset you have that when you surrender it to God, it becomes a testimony of what God can do in your life. The mud that I struggled with as a young person is now my testimony of the goodness and favour of God. I want to tell you, you're not condemned. You might have been failing, but God's going to help you deal with the mud and you're going to give glory to God because of the mud that you struggled with. See, we simply need to learn to deal with the mud. And Jesus helps this man with a few things to deal with the mud. The, the first one is this, in verse 7, He says, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. 
And so you've got to go, you've got to, he put the mud on his eyes symbolising his struggle. And he says, you've got to take your struggle to Siloam, to the one that was sent. And really Siloam is a picture of Jesus who was the one that was sent. And if you're going to deal with your struggle, which we all have, you've just got to simply take your struggle, your dysfunction, that addiction, whatever it might be, to the one that was sent. See, because Jesus, He was also in a sense like you and I, a mud man. He was fully man, but He was also fully God. But He was the only one that perfected the mud. He was the only one that never gave in to the temptation of the mud. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to deal with your humanity, you've got to take it to the one that was sent, the one that overcame the mud, the one that defeated the enemy. You've got to take it to the one that was sent. But the first point is this, is you've got to go with intent to the one that was sent. See, see, because it's not about just going, it's about the way that you come that determines what you receive. See, I don't think that this blind man, when Jesus said, go to Siloam, and he sensed his healing was at the one that was sent, he didn't stop off at his auntie's house, although she was an incredible Jewish cook. When he got a sense that healing was at Siloam, he's like, don't talk to me, don't get in my way. I'm going to the one that was sent. It's about the way that you come that determines what you receive. The way that you come to church today determines what you will receive. If you just came to sing a few songs, then that's what you will do. But if you came to get in the presence of the Almighty God, then that's what you'll experience. If you came today to just hear a good talk, then that's what you might hear. But if you came today, to hear the Word of God that's alive and sharper than a double-edged sword, then that's what you will hear. He went with intent to the one that was sent. You know, one of the things that I didn't like as a parent when my kids were younger and parents will relate to this, is that moment when you're on your way to church or somewhere where you've got to be, it's important and you're rallying the kids together. And then you finally, you you think, oh, we're gonna be on time, it's awesome. And then you look down And you say, but where's your shoes? I've told you a hundred times, put your shoes on. And then we would go and sit in the car and you say, right, mister, you have one minute to be in that car. And you sit in the car on the way to church and one minute feels like four minutes. And now I'm angry in my heart and because I'm angry, you know, I'm gonna need three songs just to deal with my anger. But now because he takes about three minutes, I'm, I'm angry that I have a fight with my wife. Now I need three songs and communion just to deal with my heart. Eventually you go back in and like, what in the world is he doing? But he found a Lego house that wasn't finished and he had to finish the house. See, there's no intent. He doesn't care. I remember when I took Caleb when he was young and his friends to Dreamworld, which is the equivalent of Disneyland for his birthday. And it was a miracle because that morning he woke us up. He was already dressed. He had his shoes on. He had made his own lunch. He's like, come on, Dad, let's go to Dreamworld. But see, it's about the way that you come that determines what you receive. It's about the way you walk into the house of God. It's about the way that you approach your devotional life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's about the way that you turn up to prayer meeting on Wednesday morning. It's about the way that you come that determines what you receive. You've got to go with intent to the one that was sent. The second thing is once you get there, Really, this is a message about a devotional life. It's about the way you turn up to church. But the second thing is, is, is he, he simply washed the mud off. 
In verse 7, he says, go to Siloam and wash. So in other words, he, 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 he had the mud on his eyes, which we all can relate to. It's his humanity, it's his struggle. And so he, he took his struggle to the one that was sent. He went with hunger and intent. But when he got to Jesus, he, he dug down into the waters of Christ, which represents the Word of God. And he took the Word of God and he applied it to his struggle. And he started to wash the humanity and all of a sudden he could see. Ephesians says that we are cleansed by the washing of the Word. You know, I remember it's an embarrassing story, but many, many years ago, I was a youth pastor and I wasn't being paid full time. And as a job, I would go to the shopping malls and I'd clean the windows. And I would, you know, get the, 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 the put the, the dishwashing liquid and soap it up and, 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 you know, use the squeegee to make it real nice. And the embarrassing part is when I first got married, I had this issue, let's just say I wasn't the most hygienic young man. And the problem was I married a germaphobe. And so we would go to the cinemas together and I'd touch the escalator handrails and she'd start manifesting. Do you know how many germs are on that thing? And I'd deliberately try and touch her face and say, I love you, but no, it's... But the real embarrassing part is whenever I'd wash my hands and she would see me do it before dinner or whatever, I would never use soap. And she'd say, like, just like pump the soap. And I had this stupid thing where I'm like, well, no, you don't need soap. You just need running water. She's like, that's stupid. And we're both a little stubborn. So our argument went about four years. And every now and again, we would end up at the sink together. And she would see me not. And she's like, seriously, please just pump the soap. I'm like, you don't need soap. You just need running water. And then after about four years, I think God was sick and tired of my stupidity. So he gave a divine revelation and intervention. And as I'm saying my stupid thing about not needing soap, she says, okay then. She says, when you go to the mall tomorrow to wash your windows, don't use any soap. What would happen then? And I went, it, it, it wouldn't work. She says, I know, and it doesn't work on your hands. Ever since that moment, I've been set free, delivered. I now use soap. You'll be happy afterwards when we shake hands. See, but what's the point of the story? If you don't use soap, you end up with dirty hands. Stop getting hung up on the fact that you've got this mud that has humanity that's broken and start getting hung up on the fact that the Saviour has provided the soap. He's provided everything you need, but you need to keep going to the one that was sent and finding out what He says about you and washing away the mud of your past, of generational stuff, of things that you've struggled with. Keep applying the soap and you'll be able to see. Just if the keyboarder could come. I remember a time when this really blessed me. I, I was an itinerant for about nine years where I travelled all around the world. And when I first started, it, you know, it was mainly smaller churches, and bar a few, but it was kind of just, you know, you're trying to believe that you'll get opportunity. And eventually I got an opportunity about a year in to preach at a church called Planet Shakers in, in, in Melbourne. And it was kind of a big deal for me. And I remember preaching and, and it went really well. But it was after that, that I really started to struggle. I actually started to feel like I didn't belong. Because I started to feel like, you know, Pastor Russell, he, he, his dad is a living legend and his granddad were living legends in the Kingdom of God. And all of their relatives are, are people of God that are called to ministry. And I started to believe that I didn't belong in those circles that I didn't belong on those stages. 
See, the reason why I felt that is really because of the mud, the family that I came from. My dad's parents, his mum was orphaned when she was a little girl, two years old, and she was raised by her auntie who ran the local brothel. You don't have to be Einstein to think about what happens to a little girl that's raised in a brothel. She married a man who was my dad's dad, who was violent and abusive, broke most bones in my nan's body, would make my dad and his brothers fight until someone could no longer stand up. Every now and again, my dad will have a few too many beers and he'll start to talk about the horrific things that he saw as a little boy. And even today as a 70 year old man, my dad still struggles with drugs and alcohol. And it's no wonder because of what he's trying to medicate on the inside. On my mum's side, my mum's mum, beautiful lady, but as a little girl, she was sexually abused by her own father. She also married a man that was violent and abusive and an alcoholic. And just to make it worse, my mum, when she was nine years old, was walking home from school and four teenage boys held her down and raped her. My mum has also struggled a lot in life. The reality is that's the mud that I've come from. My mum and dad both have seven siblings. Nobody went to university. Nobody has amazing businesses. Nobody's wealthy. And I started to shrink back the mud of insecurity and not feeling good enough started to cloud what God had called me to see. But then just one normal day that I was going to my devotions, going with intent to the one that was sent. And I opened a Scripture in Genesis that I've read a hundred times. And as I'm reading it, I'm shrinking back in my heart. The mud is stopping me from seeing because of my past family. And I read this Scripture that says that you were created in my image, in my likeness you were created. And literally in that moment, God spoke to me and He said, Lucas, I don't care about the family that you're from. You're created in my image. You can stand wherever I call you to stand. You can go wherever I call you to go. See, but what happened? There was some mud that was stopping me from seeing the great things that God had for my life. But I brought my mud to the one that was set and I started to wash with the living Word of God so that I could see clearly again. See, the last point. See, see, really this message, it's, it's simply a devotional life. See, you don't need a devotional life to change the way that God sees you. Even if you messed up so bad last night, when God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees holy and blameless. I don't need a devotional life to change the way I see God. I need a devotional life to change the way I see me because I've got this mud that's prone to think the wrong way. I need a devotional life to change the way I see Him because this mud can distort how I see Him and I need a devotional life to change the way I see you. But then the last point, why does God want you to live like this? Keep bringing, stop pretending that you don't have mud. Just keep bringing it to the one that conquered the mud. Keep using the soap that He's provided. And then the last point, It's in verse eight, it's kind of like the why. Why does God want you to live like this? Why does God want you to have a devotional life? 
Is it because He's a tyrannical God that says, you better come to me? No, He's a loving Father. And the reason He wants you to live this kind of devotional life, bringing your mud to Him, is found in verse 8. After this man takes his mud to Jesus alone, and then he washes the Word of God and now he can see. It says, His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man that used to sit and beg? The reason God wants you to deal with your stuff and bring it to Him is number three is so that you'll stop living like a beggar. Because you were not called to live like a beggar. You are called to be the head and not the tail. You are called to be above and not beneath. You are called to have the marriage that you've dreamed about. You are called to prosper and to, to win in life. But the reality is if you won't deal with that anxiety, then you'll be left living like a beggar. If you don't deal with that offence that's in your heart, then you're the one that lives like a beggar. If you don't deal with that addiction that nobody knows about, then you're the one that's living like a beggar. But that's not who God's called you to be. You are a son or daughter of the Most High God, that you are important, you are royal, you are loved, you are valued, you have a destiny. No matter what your past is, God has got incredible things for your future. Last story, I remember praying for a lady who was struggling with anxiety, so much so that she couldn't, she almost hardly left her house. She had two little daughters, she was married. Every now and again, she'd work up the courage to go to church, but she'd hardly leave the house. Fear gripped her life. I was preaching at this church and they were doing like an encounter weekend with about 30 people. The leaders had told me how major this lady's anxiety was. So before the lady even arrived, I knew about her. We got chatting before the first session and she opened up and she said, it's a miracle that I'm even here. It was a one night retreat. Normally anxiety, I can't even leave the house. And we chatted a little bit and I did my first session. And now I'm gonna pray for each of the 30 people. It's an encounter weekend. They're there to encounter and get freedom. And so I think to myself about the session, well, I'll go to her first because I already know what her problem is. It's anxiety. So I'm gonna go and pray for anxiety to lift off her life. And I'll never forget it as I'm walking toward her. She's just sitting there like this. I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And He says, Lucas, anxiety is not the problem. It's what her dad did to her when she was a little girl. Now, if I be honest, now my heart's beating out of its chest, because what if I'm wrong? And she's just got her eyes closed. She's not emotional. And I say, hey, I just feel the Holy Spirit said that anxiety is not the problem, but it's what your dad did to you when you were a little girl. As soon as I said those words, the floodgates opened and she began to weep uncontrollably. And as she's weeping uncontrollably, I saw a clear picture of God the Father. And He was holding her and her head was on His chest. She was weeping and I shared that picture of God the Father holding her tight and now she's crying even more uncontrollably. Eventually some other ladies came and ministered and prayed for her as I went and prayed for the other people in the room. It was after the service that I sat across from her having some hot chocolate. She sat across from me. She said, when I was a little girl, my mother abandoned us. And she left me to live with my stepdad who sexually abused me as a little girl. She said, I've believed in Jesus most of my life. 
She says, but whenever the church talked about the Father, I could never see Him. And I'll never forget it as we have a hot chocolate and I sat across from her and a tear rolled down her cheek. And she said, tonight I saw the Father. In that moment, she was completely set free of anxiety. She went back to her church and she wasn't just on the host team. She started running the host team for her church. I see this lady on Facebook regularly about, I think it's seven years and she is flourishing in life. She's dominating. She stopped living like a beggar because she made a decision as painful as it was. She said, you know what? I'm gonna bring my humanity and it's messed up and it's not even my fault, but I'm gonna bring it on that encounter weekend to the one that was sent. And I'm gonna find what He says about me and who He says that I am so that I can see the destiny that God has for my life. I wanna pray for you in just a moment. I'm gonna open the altar. That if there's some stuff in your life and we've all got it, where you know there's some mud, there's some humanity that's stopping you from seeing all that God has for your life, I'm gonna pray. But before I do that, to all the guys that are watching online, to everyone in the room, really the first step of anything in Christianity, if we're gonna allow the loving Father, Jesus to minister to our hearts, It comes when we have a moment in life where we actually surrender our life to Jesus. And maybe you're in this room right now and you've never ever given your life to Jesus. Like me, 20 something years ago, it was the first time that I saw Him. I didn't have all the answers, but there was something in me that said He loves me and He's for me. And I took a risk to invite Him into my life. Or maybe you're here and you've done this before, but for whatever reason, you found yourself away from God. You messed up, you walked the wrong way. And today at the start of the year of 2023, you're ready to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, I messed up, but I'm gonna give my life back to Jesus and I'm gonna receive the forgiveness and grace that He has for my life. I wanna ask just as you're in your seats right now, I wanna ask every single person to bow their heads. And if you're in this place today and you know that on January the 8th, 2023, this is the day that you're giving your life to Jesus whether it's for the first time or whether you just know it's time to get right with Him. I feel that strongly that there's some people you've been putting on a Christian mask, but today's the day where you need to turn away from sin and say, you know what? I'm giving my life to Jesus. With every single eye closed, every head bowed. In just a moment, I'm gonna count to three. And when I get to three, if you'd say, Lucas, can you, I'm not gonna bring you out the front. But if you're saying, Lucas, I need to get right with God, would you include me in your prayer? When I get to three, you'll lift your hand, I'll see it. And I'll include you in my prayer. Every eye closed, every head bowed. One, friend, I tell you, He loves you more than you've ever dreamed or imagined. Two, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been or who you are. You're God's precious son or precious daughter. Three, all over this place. Yeah, I see your hand. Yeah, I see your hand. Yeah, I see your hand over there. I see your hand there. I see your hand there. I see your hand at the back. I see your hand right at the back there. Yeah, I see your hand over there. Come on, just, come on, there's people, your heart's beating out of its chest. It's because God loves you so much. You're, You're His precious son or precious daughter. I see your hand right at the back there. Yeah, I see your hand just down here in the third row. Yeah, I see your hand there as well. See your hand over there. Come on, people just getting right with Jesus. I'm telling you, there's nothing better than getting right with Jesus because He loves you so much. 
Come on, is there someone else? I see people, their hands raised and tears are streaming down their face because God loves you so much. He's not holding your sin against you. He's welcoming you and saying, you're my son, you're my daughter. Is there someone else? I feel like there is. I feel like there is. Who are we waiting for? Come on, don't, don't, don't walk out of this place the same way you walked in online right now. Come on, is that you? Make a comment, to say that you're getting right with God. Yeah, I see your hand there as well. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I don't wanna miss one person I'm about to pray for. So I wanna ask every person that's lifted their hand to just put it up nice and high. If you haven't, and you know you should just do it right now. Come on, every single person, nice and high. If you're, if you're getting right with Jesus today, I see your hand down the front here. I see your hand there. I see your hand here. I see your hand there. I see your hand there. I see the hand at the back there. I see the hand at the back there as well. I see your hand there, sir. I see the hand over there. I see your hand there, sir. I see your hand at the back there. So proud of every, I see your hand in the front. I see your hand there. So proud of you. So good. So many people just saying yes to Jesus. You can put your hands down. We're gonna pray a prayer. And then we've got about six minutes. I'm gonna open the altar and pray for people. But if you lifted your hand, I want you to repeat these words with all your heart, all your soul. But as a church family, we're gonna also pray the prayer with you because we wanna celebrate this amazing moment of you getting right with Jesus. Let's repeat after me. But if you lifted your hand, you mean these words with all your heart. Say, Dear Father, thank You for forgiving me for everything that I've done wrong. I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. Today, I give my life to Jesus. Jesus, I invite You into my heart. I give You my life. Help me to live for You. In Jesus' Name, Amen, 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 Amen. Come on, let's give God praise.